It's time for our weekly news recap, where we take you behind the headlines with local journalists working on stories like these. WGN now calling the race for Alexi Janulius. And right now we're also looking at the third district race here and Delia Ramirez, the winner there over Gil Viegas. Jonathan Jackson now taking pictures with his supporters after declaring victory. State Senator Darren Bailey won the Republican nomination for governor and that means he will take on Governor J.B. Pritzker in November. In a concession speech last night, Irvin wished Bailey well and said the Republican Party must work to dispose hate and bigotry. So many stories to dive into, so let's get started. Joining us today is Heather Sharon, Chicago politics reporter for WTTW News. Welcome back, Heather. Hi, Sasha. Also with us, John Byrne, senior political reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Good to finally meet you, John. Right. Been chatting and chatting. Here you are. You're real. And Brandon Pope, host of the news magazine show On the Block, co-produced by Block Club Chicago and airing on WCIU Channel 26. Welcome back, Brandon. What's up? Good to see you. I want to give a special shout out to the folks who are watching us break down the week's news live right now on the WBEZ Facebook and WBEZ YouTube pages. You can also watch the live stream on Reset's Facebook page. All right. So, Heather, I want to take a look at results from Tuesday's primary, first of all. Let's start with the one that got the most attention, obviously, the governor's race. What are the highlights there? Well, it's going to be Darren Bailey versus J.B. Pritzker in November's general election for the big office, the top job, governor of Illinois. And this is really a contest that J.B. Pritzker chose, and it will be his to either win or lose. And it is a very high stakes bet. Brandon, what are your thoughts on on what went wrong with Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin's candidacy don't give me that look (laughs) what went wrong what went wrong with that campaign i'm not sure where to start sasha but i think the key thing is like voters couldn't identify who exactly he was and he couldn't define who he was he was dodging we didn't hear from him hardly that's the thing he was dodging media (laughs) he dodged key questions even on key issues that voters republican voters care about like the roe versus wade decision he was dodging that as well. So when you have a candidate who is running for governor who doesn't want to answer simple questions, you don't know what to vote for. I think that was his downfall. Yeah. Heather, I want to touch back on something you mentioned a second ago that I think we should clarify. You said Pritzker chose Bailey. Right. What do you mean? Well, so he is a major contributor to the Democratic Democratic Governors Association. And the DGA, as it's known, ran ads basically saying Darren Bailey is too conservative for Illinois. And that served to signal to Republican voters, hey, if you're looking for the conservative in this race, Darren Bailey is your guy. And we saw those ads start to run and sort of Bailey sort of start to gain. And it's clear that Governor Pritzker and the team around him think that he will be easier to beat in November than somebody like Richard Irvin was. That's a a calculated bet because... Darren Bailey is anti-abortion. He is, has said that the 2020 election was was rigged or false. It was not. So those are all issues that J.B. Pritzker thinks that he benefits from that comparison. So that's why he put millions of dollars into that organization, and that's what happened. Well, speaking of millions of dollars, John, what kind of return did billionaire Ken Griffin get on his $50 million investment uh, into Richard Irvin. Historically rotten return, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, it, the, the, per, the per vote expenditure was, what, like $500 or something like that. So, like, it's the it was this massive amount of money, and and then it was his sayonara to Illinois. He, he, he dumped this money in. He mm-hmm. f- fell way short, and then he uh, 
folded up his tent and went to Florida. Anyone surprised to hear that he made that move? He moved his family to Miami. He plans to take his employees and all his money there, too. He's had one foot in Florida for years and years, <laughs> and, and I think the writing's been on the wall. The timing was, of course, a little bit suspect, given the way things were going for for Irvin at the time, but but I, I'm not at all surprised to see him to decamp for uh, for Florida. Yeah. Former President Trump made uh, his way to Illinois over the weekend, endorsing State Senator Darren Bailey, as we've mentioned. Bailey might also be taking a cue from Trump because he doesn't intend to follow the longstanding uh, tradition of gubernatorial candidates releasing their tax returns. Is that going to be a problem for him, Brandon? I'm not sure voters care aggressively about tax returns as much as the media does. Uh, So I'm not sure it's going to impact him as much when it comes to that. Uh, But it does point to, you know, it's more mystery, right? It's more, are are you going to be transparent with people? And we should care about that. That does matter. Well, let me tell you why I think it will matter. Mm -hmm. So Darren Bailey has presented himself as a farmer, but he is not just a farmer. He heads a multi-million dollar agribusiness, and he has gotten subsidies from the federal government for not just for COVID, but regular farm subsidies. And those tax returns would show us sort of what that has meant for his personal financial picture. And I think it is would be difficult for Darren Bailey to run as sort of the salt of the earth. Southern Illinois guy when so much of his business is really enmeshed in um, what is truly a, a, a second welfare state. We say welfare, we think about people living in cities getting aid for food and food stamps. This is another form yeah. of federal assistance, and that's what really is at stake here. Well, Donald Trump was also here stumping for conservative Congresswoman Mary Miller, who made national headlines when she riled up the MAGA crowd with this comment. President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. So, Brandon, her um, I'm, I'm looking at your face right now. Her campaign says that she misspoke. She meant to say it was a victory for right to life. Didn't you hear that? Right to life. Right to life. What yeah. do you think? Uh, the crowd clapped nonetheless, and she clapped nonetheless. Didn't mm-hmm. correct the mistake. Um, so whether she was, you know, truly making a mistake or not, that can be debated. But it almost seems like she was saying the quiet part out loud, right? Yeah. Because the abortion decision obviously impacts all women. But when you look at the states that are going to be impacted most, southern states, from Jackson, Mississippi to Eldorado, Arkansas, a lot of black women there. And as we know, black women face a lot of disparities in the health care system, especially when it comes to uh, infant mortality rates. And so this just feels like a direct attack on them as well. And so uh, it just further exacerbates. This is also a candidate who has been in hot water before for, you know, making comments where she quotes Hitler. Uh, talking about the, yeah. the the children, uh, the the youth have the future and things like that. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough to give her the benefit of the doubt with comments like that. Yeah, Heather, John, as as Brandon said, whether it was intended or not, it seems that voters weren't too bothered by it. What do you she, think? She walked away with it, right? She walked away with the primary uh, against, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rodney, Rodney Davis. Rodney Davis, yeah. right? I mean, you know, she clobbered him. So, yeah, worked. Mm-hmm. It worked. I, I mean, I agree with Brandon. I think that, you know, people deserve the benefit of the doubt. We're all on the radio and TV talking, and it's easy to sort of get tripped up around your tongue. But I think if you have a history of praising Hitler, um, you you maybe don't get that, that you don't get a, a pass. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are going behind the headlines 
on the weekly news recap with WTTW's Heather Sharon, the Chicago Tribune's John Byrne, and Brandon Pope, who's host of Block Club Chicago's show On the Block. It airs on WCIU Channel 26. A reminder that you can now watch the weekly news recap live on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. You can also check out the video live stream right now and see our lovely faces on Reset's Facebook page. Um, let's turn to some other elections, Heather. Bring us up to speed on the Secretary of State's race. Well, it was Alexi Janulius emerging victorious from a crowded primary, and he overcame um, not having the uh, endorsement of current Secretary of State Jesse White um, or Governor J.B. Prisker. He defeated City Clerk Ana Valencia and Alderman David Moore. And that really will set up um, really his attempt to regain statewide office. He was um, state treasurer um, back in the day, and he wants another go-round at statewide office. And he will have to go through Republican Dan Brady, um, who also emerged victorious from the Republican primary, that was another race where Ken Griffin's in you know choice was defeated, um, making him really just winning nothing on Tuesday. Yeah, and outspoken downstate attorney Tom Devore won the Republican nomination for Attorney General. He's going to face Kwame Raoul this fall. Who is Tom Devore? So Tom Devore, you probably recognize the name from all of the lawsuits challenging Governor J.B. Pritzker's COVID mandates. He challenged the stay-at-home order. He challenged the vaccine mandate. He challenged really just the whole the whole gamut of it. And that is really how he rose to prominence in Illinois. Now, this is another race where money from Democratic groups served to highlight Thomas DeVore's deep conservative beliefs or really far right conservative beliefs. And that really lifted him in that primary as well. So, again, you know, I, I, I've said it a couple of times but this, you know, is a, a, a case of be careful what you wish for, perhaps. Mm-hmm. John, uh, let's look at some congressional races. Let's start with uh, Southside Congressman Bobby Rush's seat in the in the first district. Fill us in. What happened there? Seventeen Democrats on the uh, on the ballot for this historic seat. It's historic in the sense of almost a hundred years of African American representation. Yeah. First, uh, first African American uh, congr- congressional seat in the North was, was the first. And Jonathan Jackson, the son of the Reverend Jesse Jackson, came out on top with less than thirty percent of the vote, but he was. Well ahead of the second place finisher, Alderman Pat Dowell, in that in that crowded race, and so he's the overwhelming uh, favorite in the fall to beat. Uh, we were not sure who yet, but uh, uh, Eric Carlson, uh, a veteran who has a sexual assault conviction in his background from 1995, mm-hmm. is, is ahead on the GOP ballots in that in that race. And, and John, you were at Jonathan Jackson's um, celebration. Right? What no, was that? a colleague of mine actually went. Will Lee went. I was I, I was see. in the office quarterbacking, <laughs> but uh, but uh, the Reverend Jackson was there, and uh, it was at the Dusable Museum. And uh, uh, Jonathan Jackson, you know, talked about his his parents and how important they've been to him. Talked about one of his godparents, uh, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. who's sort of underscoring the fact that this is like this is. Black royalty, this family in Chicago, right? The, the Jackson name goes a long way, carries yeah. a lot of water, and it's it's a formidable political organization in its own right. Yeah, what do you think, Brandon? Is this a sign, as as John alluded to, that this Jackson political dynasty, like it's still very powerful? Absolutely. I mean, the Jackson name still holds weight. Many were questioning coming in whether he would be able to take on and really embrace that front runner status. 
and the results show it, even though he was outspent. Uh, Jonathan Swain, the person who raised the most money in this race, finished, what, sixth? Seventh? Three percent yeah. of the vote, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that Jackson name carried, no doubt. Well, yeah. it, it's really a restoration of the Jackson political dynasty oh, yeah. because, of course, Jesse Jackson Jr. was a congressman, and he was convicted of misusing campaign finance funds along with his wife, Sandy Jackson, who was a uh, Chicago alder person. So this is really sort of, uh, you know, they are back in power after really being in the wilderness and many Many people questioning whether that Jackson name would be enough to emerge from such a crowded primary. But when you've got 17 people scrapping, Mm -hmm. anything can happen. Heather, uh, sticking with you, I want to look at another congressional race. That's the newly created largely Latino third district. It's a fascinating story. So this district was created by the Illinois General Assembly to really um, increase and highlight Latino political power in Chicago's congressional district. And it was won with two-thirds of the vote by a state rep, Adelia Ramirez, and she clobbered Alderman Gilbert Villegas. And she won going away. She won won the part of the district that's in DuPage. And she won her home turf of the northwest side of Chicago. Mm. And she faced really intense attacks about her support for the defund the police movement. And I think it is going to raise a lot of questions about whether those attacks still have sting and power or whether people, even after the surge of crime that we've all sort of been living through, whether those really resonate or if that were somehow past that backlash in a significant way. Yeah. Um, 80-year-old veteran Congressman Danny Davis Yes. Remain victorious. Yes. John, tell us about that race uh, in the 7th District. Keena Collins, an anti-violence activist. This is her second run against Danny Davis, who's a stalwart West Side. He's three decades uh, representing this district. And the last time uh, Keena Collins got, I think, 14 or 15 percent of the vote. This time it was much, much closer. Yeah. And in the closing days of the campaign, President Joe Biden endorsed Danny Davis which was a sign that Danny Davis was sweating a little bit here uh, in, in this district. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the a lot of the West Loop areas and and the Loop included in this in this uh, district have gotten a lot younger. A lot more people living in those parts of the district. A lot more progressive people in the district who maybe saw Keena Collins's time for a change. Uh, yeah, she put up quite the fight. She didn't. Mm-hmm. She yeah. she really did, and and gave a speech. The speech at the end that said. Hey, look, if you can have President Joe Biden come and endorse you, if you can get endorsements like these, mm-hmm. have these people come in and help fix this district. Where's the help? Mm-hmm. You, you you call on this stuff three days, 72 hours before the primary. Call on this two years before the primary and, and, and help to do some things for the West Side. Yeah. Heather, real quick, give us the, the final results in that Cook County assessor's race. So it will be Fritz Kage, um as the Democratic nominee in the race. He faces a libertarian challenger in the November's general election. Most people say he's the odds-on favorite to win a second term. And he really faced an intense uh, challenge from Carrie Steele, the president of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation Board. And she was really supported by business owners and property owners who really did not like the changes Fritz Kagey made to how property taxes are assessed. And I think his reelect, his, you know, assumed reelection, along with the changes on tap for the Cook County Board of Review, where two incumbents have lost, uh, are going to mean potentially big changes in how that system all works in Cook County. Before we take a quick pause, John, tell us how voter turnout was on Tuesday. 
I mean, it was bad, but it was sort of. <laughs> it was sort of. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was, but it was sort of typically bad. I mean, it was what twenty percent right. in the city. But it was an eight-year low, though. Like it, it was. was bad, bad. No, it was, but it, but it was in twenty fourteen. It was what seventeen percent. So yeah, this I was guess. this mm-hmm. was it was bad, but it wasn't for a midterm with no uh, no real democratic gubernatorial contest to speak of. It it didn't shock me, especially given that rather than March, when people are sort of getting ready for their primary in Illinois, this is one week before the 4th of July. People yeah. are already thinking about uh, the Tommy Bartlett robots up at the Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just hard to, it's oh, hard to, do, it's hard to do the robots. On that note, that is uh, the Chicago Tribune's John Byrne, WTTW's Heather Sharon, and Brandon Pope, who's host of Block Club Chicago's show On the Block, airing on WCIU Channel 26. A reminder, you can now watch the weekly news recap live on the WBEZ Facebook and the YouTube pages. Also, Reset's Facebook page. So go ahead and check us out. So the January 6th hearings, they've continued to capture the nation's attention. John, let's talk about how Illinois Congressman Adam Kinzinger handled himself. Um, He oversaw last Thursday's hearing, and then this week he was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Let's listen to a bit of that first. Look, all we want to do is just get to the bottom of this. The American people deserve answers and a democracy to survive and to function. There are people right now dying in Ukraine to defend democracy. And it's like we can't be in any more of a hurry to get rid of ours here. All you need is people to recognize that your vote counts and who you vote for wins. That's how it or wins or loses. That's how a democracy survives. And right now, half of the country has been convinced that's not the case. What are your thoughts, John, on his remarks there? Yeah, he hit this when he was uh, chairing the committee, and it's, it seems like that was two months ago, even though it was a week ago, right? Mm-hmm. He, he chaired it last week and and uh, was leading the committee through talking about the president trying to get a more compliant head of the DOJ. As he was doing that, he said, look, if we're going to ask American soldiers to die for our flag, we should at least be willing to lose our jobs uh, to stand up for the right thing. And these men at the DOJ were willing to lose their jobs to do the right thing because they threatened to resign rather than go along with what he says the the president, and they said President Trump was trying to do. Mm. And you heard him hit that on, on the Late Show, too, saying people are dying in Ukraine. We need to protect democracy. And so you know, he's a, he himself is an Air Force veteran, and so it's, it's just something he constantly comes back to is we have to be willing to stand up for these uh, yeah. these rights and protect them. And Kinzinger is not running for re-election, as we know. Is there any speculation, though, on what's next for him? Uh, he's talked about statewide office. He's talked about a lot of different things, but I don't think he's got anything in the hopper right now. I wouldn't be surprised to see him run for governor sometime mm-hmm. down the road, though. Heather, let's get right to another issue that, of course, dominated the news over the last several days. That's the uh, Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. Let's look at the role that abortion played in the first post-Roe primary. Well, I mean, you saw, uh, you know, at least some candidates who lost sort of blaming that sort of surge of anger for driving people to the polls. And we specifically saw that in the third district race that I mentioned before. Alderman Viegas attributed sort of his loss to sort of a few, you know, a fuel of anger coming out for the more progressive Delia Ramirez. Whether that pattern holds, I think, is going to determine the outcome of not only November's elections in Illinois, but, but nationwide. You know, Republican gubernatorial winner Darren Bailey, he wants to end taxpayer funding of abortion. 
Is that right? Yes. And, you know, today he sort of began to be a little bit sort of like, well, maybe we need an an exception for the life of the mother or in rape or incest. So it's that all of those questions are going to have far more um, salience now that this issue is now at sort of on the doorstep of Illinois lawmakers. And we'll see more action on this next month when the General Assembly comes into a special session to consider what I would be imagine would be at least, you know, a half dozen or so bills that would seek to expand access to abortion in Illinois, not just for Illinois residents, but those coming from other states like Missouri um, to get that care that they need. Brandon, how do you think that this kind of messaging is going to play for Bailey in November's general election? It'll energize his base, but here in the state of Illinois, that base is not going to probably be enough to overtake Pritzker, who has been a fierce advocate so far. When he talks about abortion, that's like his bread and butter right there. He's, oh, yeah. He, he, that's his bag. When we interviewed him last week on on the block, he lit up as soon as we mentioned abortion because he just he that's an issue that he's been very passionate about and been advocating for for a while. And he does see Illinois and has said Illinois is going to be a safe haven for abortion. Uh, right now, we're, we're actually seeing on the TV screen President Biden meeting with governors, I'm sure, uh, Pritzker is a part of that right now. So this response around abortion access, uh, he's been trying to communicate this message that abortion is more than just a democratic issue. It's more than just a liberal issue. It's an issue for women across party lines. And so I think that message will stick. Yeah. And what have you noticed, John, as far as Pritzker's reaction to the Supreme Court ruling? Well, he's positioning himself uh, as the national leader of governors on this issue. He's not just trying to position Illinois. He's saying, I'm the most pro-choice governor in the world right now you know what i mean and yeah and <laughs> in, in the, the world, world. <laughs> the world the world of governors um and, and you know and, and take that sweden yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, whatever the duchy of whatever the, um and, and, and illinois place geographically places pritzker at a at a position to to really be able to have a loud voice on this just because of if you look at the states around illinois um Illinois is going to become relied upon an awful lot by by women in a large swath of the United States as, as the place where they can safely come. And you've seen in some other states that, that Planned Parenthood is backing away from medical abortions because they're afraid that that uh, they'll get sued by legislatures and states around them. So this seems like it's probably not over. And, yeah. and Pritzker thinks this is politically is a winning thing for him to, to, to man the ramparts on. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're going behind the headlines on the weekly news recap here. That was uh, John Byrne of the Chicago Tribune. We've got Brandon Pope here, who's host of Block Club Chicago's show On the Block. And Heather Sharon's here from WTTW helping us break this down. I want to turn to something completely different, though, folks. R&B singer R. Kelly. He's been sentenced to 30 years in prison. He's 55 years old now, Brandon. Mm. (laughs) Is this essentially a life sentence? Essentially, and his legal troubles aren't over either. I was I mean, going to say he's still got a case uh, pending in Illinois coming up with. So he's never getting out. He's got Minnesota coming up. So this man is is getting hit with charges, and this has been a decades long thing that's building, right? Uh, I was I was texting with some um, some victims of R. Kelly uh, last week about this, who they saw this coming down, uh, just to kind of get how they're feeling. Yeah, and uh, they're not relieved, you know, because really they 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 they, they want justice, obviously, but. When you've been assaulted and, and terrorized and then you have people painting you in these legal proceedings as a groupie or just a fan or just a girlfriend, 
that's a lot of mental trauma you have to go through as well. So seeing a, a, a guilty verdict there doesn't exactly alleviate them. So it's going to be interesting to see what the further legal proceedings are going to be for R. Kelly. It's been well documented. If you know any woman who's grown up here in the city of Chicago, she yeah. probably has a story about an R. Kelly interaction, whether it be at the mall or a school or McDonald's. So that McDonald's keeps coming up. It keep, the rock and roll McDonald's in particular. So his defense attorneys, they're saying that they're going to appeal the judge's decision, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, Kelly's going to face more charges in that federal trial in Chicago. It's scheduled to start August 15th. Can you get us up to speed on what to expect in that case? What, what are the charges there? The charges there, he, he's talking about a child pornography case connected to 2008. Um, and then enticing minors into illegal sexual activity and also obstruction of justice. So uh, those alone carry very heavy sentences. He could face another 20 to 30 years, prosecutors recommending more than 25 because they view him as a danger to the public there. So uh, like you said, he's 55 years old right now. That 30-year sentence plus adding on these other charges from Illinois that are pending and potentially Minnesota as well, you could say it's life. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, in opening this up to, to the floor here, his roots are in Chicago, as, mm-hmm. as we've mentioned. Mm-hmm. So is this trial going to be more challenging, you think, for prosecutors? So I think it will be different than it was in New York, in Brooklyn, okay. because I think that R. Kelly is a Chicagoan. So I'm a graduate of Kenwood Academy. R. Kelly is a mm-hmm. graduate of Kenwood Academy. Um, I have my R. Kelly story. Everybody has an R. Kelly story. Wow. Everybody does. And I think that that will give it a different tone because, you know, part of these charges are involve his first trial in, at which he was acquitted and sort of how he used that trial to sort of solidify this sort of Teflon sort of I can do whatever I want. And all of these acts, I mean, or most of them are occurred after that trial. And I think that's a searing indictment of the criminal justice system and that he was actually, you know, accused of and I believe convicted as part of the New York case, you know, sort of grooming a child who was at that who came to see him at that case and sort Mm -hmm. of that's Mm -hmm. how he made contact with her. So, you know, I I get where those women that you talk to, Brandon, are coming from, because we're talking about charges from 2008. Right. right? Yeah, it is. The year of our Lord, 2022. It is. You know what I mean? This has been a long time. And how many, you know, award shows did he perform on? How many, you know, famous people did he work with between now and then? He headlined Pitchfork. Right. Right. Not that long ago. Oh, that's right. People were lining up. Yeah. Yeah. But but, but there were also tens of thousands. It was the most bizarre. I was there and it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen Well, I mean, look at how folks lined up outside the the courthouse. I covered that first one. I covered that first one that he got acquitted on and it was like, it was like the Beatles were arriving at 26th in California every single day it was, ins- it it's was like insanity n- no one had in perspective why they were actually yeah. there yeah. um and john one of his super fans was arrested just days before the judge's decision what was that about uh, a guy named christopher gunn from bolingbrook a 39 year old man uh, making threats of serious bodily injury he was on on facebook saying thing on youtube saying uh if kells goes down everybody's going down and making references to 30 shots for his haters and things like that. So, you know, he's still got, he's got people out there who are going to ride for him. 
you know, and yeah. in Chicago in particular. But I his, don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this goes. His music don't even slap like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you mean you're not stepping in the name of love anymore? <laughs> I mean, I, we, I can go without. Yeah. I've realized over time. I know. Yeah. I, I mean, but it's 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 hard to overstate how deeply R. Kelly's music was embedded in not just black Chicago, but yeah. like all of Chicago. Like if you went to a club, mm-hmm. like it was on. But Heather, what are we going to do at weddings now? I, I It's a good question. You know? And like, you know, I've been at, you know, at events where he's come on and people have just stopped. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? For and sure. like, that's just, it's very, it, it's just going to be a very different. And I don't know that Chicago and its institutions has really reckoned with how they, you know, not only protected him, but, you yeah. know, enabled him. And that's, I think, what that deeper justice, the people that you were talking to, yeah. um, really want and need. And probably, I don't want to speak for them, but probably have very little hope of actually yeah. getting. Yeah. All right. Rapid fire here before we go. Stories that are on your radar for the coming week. How about you first, John? Um, I hear that Zach Levine is going to be a bull <laughs> for the future. Did that just happen? Yes. I'm, I'm yes. excited. Yes. I think I'm excited about that. It's mm-hmm. a lot of money. He doesn't play defense, but you know, I don't know what they're going to do better than that. So uh, I'm excited. You're excited about that, Brandon? You're a big Bulls fan. <laughs> yes, but according a, to your tweets, in a different way, Kevin Durant is asking for a trade. Reportedly, <laughs> that's interesting. And Chicago has the fourth best odds, according to points bet, to land him. Ship Zach to New Jersey. Zach to New. Yeah, yeah. Get Zach <laughs> over to Brooklyn. Who knows what kind of package they could deliver. So that. So what's, what else is on your radar on, on the block? I'll stick with sports. Big Ten. Did you guys see the big news of the Big Ten here based in Chicago? So crazy to me. Picking up UCLA and USC, big L.A. markets as the college football landscape shifts. It's mm-hmm. going to be fun for those basketball teams to fly to Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> Rutgers Talk on about a, a flight. in January. It is farther to fly oh from New gosh. Jersey to L.A. than it is from New Jersey to Iceland. So true. And, and, and <laughs> real crazy. quick, Heather, what's on your radar? I'm going to bring us down and say we're still watching Monkeypox, the city and the mm-hmm. State oh, will have more vaccine available. I thought that was over. Not over. Monkeypox is, is unfortunately, I think, just getting started. We're also, I will remind people, Chicago and Cook County are still at a high risk for COVID-19. Yeah. Um, defying sort of expectations that we would bump back down to medium. Cases are up. Hospitalizations are up. It's, you know, not something to be taken lightly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. On that note. Yeah. Womp womp. <laughs> WTTW's Heather Sharon. The Chicago Tribune's John Byrne and Brandon Pope, who's host of Block Club Chicago's On the Block, airing on WCIU Channel 26. Thanks, all. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.